Well, welcome everybody to the Vineyard Church. I am so thrilled about this adventure we're going on. If you're joining us for the first time this week or you missed last week, we're kicking off a a sermon series that we're calling The Story of Jesus. And we're going to spend about the next year going through the book of Mark and, and traveling with Jesus on his adventures and getting to know him. And the question that we're going to try and answer while we go through this series is simply this. Who is the real Jesus? Who is Jesus really? Anyway, either way, you could ask that question. But, you know, we tend to create our own homemade, custom, put-together Jesus through things that we've searched on the Internet. We read this here. We read that there. I read this passage about Jesus, and I like that one a lot. So he's kind of like that, and he's kind of like me. And, and, and we put together our own custom Jesus, and I'm telling you, that Jesus is not going to transform your life. That Jesus is not going to give you the power that you need to be victorious in this life. You need to follow. You need to know the real Jesus, the Jesus that we find on the pages of Scripture, not one that we've put together in our own image that that we kind of like, but the real Jesus. Now, last week, I encouraged everybody, so if you're joining us again for the first time, I encouraged everyone to get a journal for the journey, a travel journal. When I travel, I take a journal with me that looks something like this, and I take notes on what I'm, what I'm learning, ideas, brainstorms. Sometimes something will just come to me and an idea will come to me or a question and I'll write it in my journal. I want to encourage you to do the same thing. If you haven't picked one up, you can get one this week. And we sent out these stickers um, with the artwork for our series, the story of Jesus, uh, with our giving statements from last year. And so those went out this week. If you haven't given to the church over the last year, that's all right. Just let us know on the Connect card, or uh, you can stop by the church during business hours, and we'll get you a sticker for your journal. And we're going to do a series of stickers for this, this series. It's going to be pretty cool to decorate your journal with it. But guys, this will become a treasure for you. Uh, as you come along on this journey, your thoughts, your notes, the things that God had shown you, uh, the memories that you will make along the way, you can go back to and remember and grow and continue to grow. Because otherwise we forget about 95% of what we hear within 72 hours if we don't write it down. But if you write it down, you got it for life. So get a journal. The other thing that I'm going to ask you to get this week, if you don't have one, is a paper Bible. Yes, I... I know, it's kind of archaic, it's paper, you know, nobody uses paper anymore, we always do, you know, we do our, our iPad or our phone, but there's some things that you can do with a paper Bible that you can't do with your iPad very well. It's, it's just not convenient that way. Um, you can circle words and underline and draw arrows from one, one verse to another, and you can write in the margins, and, and again, these two, these two things together will serve you so well on this journey, and again, be a treasure for you for the rest of your life as we spend this time with Jesus really dialing into who he is. So um, we're going to send out some recommendations. So if we have your email address, you'll get a recommendation on what kind of Bible to get. We use, I typically preach out of the NIV, it's the New International Version, or as we say around here, Necessary and Vineyard. Um, And you can pick one of those up. If you can get a study Bible, that's even better if you can afford that. But get a paper Bible for this journey and bring it with you each and every week and write in it. It's okay to write in the Bible. I just want you to know that. So, okay. So that's that. 
So if you brought your Bible, open up to Mark chapter 1. We're going to start at the very beginning. And it says this. It says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Now we could stop there. I could spend the rest of, of our time together just on this one verse. There's so much there. But Mark is writing in about 60 AD, most scholars believe. He's the first one most scholars agree he was the first one to put pen to paper and write down the account of Jesus. This is within 20 to 30 years of Jesus being here on earth. I mean, and in, it, it, historically, that is a very short period of time between the actual events and what was written down because they had a whole oral history, oral tradition. They, so this is very, very close to the events from a... From a um, a historicity perspective. And, and he's writing down these very first words. He said, this is the beginning of the good news about Jesus. Now, the word for good news there is also, maybe you've heard the word gospel. Gospel is another word for good news, and it just means good news. And so we have the four Gospels, the stories of Jesus' life, we call them Gospels because each one of them presents the good news of who Jesus is. So the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, this is why it is good news, because Jesus is the Messiah. Now the Jewish people, their prophets of long ago, had predicted that God was going to send a rescuer to them. And, and that rescuer, that savior was going to come and save his people. And they've been waiting and waiting. And as you're going to see uh, today, they were waiting for him. They were anticipating his coming. But they hadn't heard anything from a prophet for about 400 years. And they were waiting for Jesus. And it says, waiting for the good news about Jesus, the Messiah. Now, it's interesting, the, the NIV version of the Bible changed this recently within the last, I don't know, 10 years or so. It used to read Jesus Christ. Anybody want to take a guess as to why they changed it to Jesus the Messiah? It's because people started to think that Jesus' last name was Christ. Did you know Jesus Christ is, Christ is not his last name? His last name uh, well, is Jesus of Nazareth. Um, but Messiah and Christ are the, mean the exact same thing. The Messiah was the Jewish Savior who was to come. Christ is the Greek word for Messiah. That's all, that, that, that's, that's why. But he was the Savior. That's the good news. And not just that, but he was the Son of God. So not only was God going to send a Savior, not only has God sent a Savior, not just for the Jews, but for all people, but he was going to come himself. God came to rescue us. And that is good news. Now, when we start to talk about Jesus and we start to think about Jesus, um, and we look at Mark, Mark, of course, is writing to the Roman people, right? And, uh, and he, included, uh, he included what we are about to read because... Not because, not because they were um, interested in Old Testament prophecy, but because what this Old Testament prophecy does is present a miracle of confirmation that Jesus truly was the Messiah, 
and the Son of God. Another thing, it's fascinating that Jesus, like that we know Jesus' name today. Like how is it that we know his name 2,000 years later? James Allen Francis wrote these words a while back. He said, here is a man who was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another village. He worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. Then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never owned a home. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family. He never went to college. He never put his foot inside of a big city. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place he was born. He never did one of the things that usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. While still a young man, the tide of popular opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed upon a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for the only piece of property he had on earth, his coat. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. And 20 centuries have come and gone. And today... He is the centerpiece of, hu- of the human race and leader of the column of progress. I am far within the mark when I say that all the armies that ever marched, all the navies that were ever built, all the parliaments that ever sat, and all the kings that ever reigned, put together, put together, have not affected the life of man upon this earth as powerfully as, as has that one solitary life. How is it that a carpenter, a peasant carpenter from a little tiny speck on the map in the, in the, you know, in the backwaters of the Roman Empire, who never wrote anything down, never went to college, never did any of the things that would have made him a world leader that people would remember, how is it that we, his name made it past the first century? There was something miraculous about this Jesus. Who was this man who split time? I mean, all the time before him was BC, all the time after him was AD. Every time I look at my calendar, it reminds me that it's been 2,021 years since him. And we're kicking off this new series to explore this. And, And as we do, I know there are two groups of people who... There are two groups of people who, who are here who are listening to this. And the first group, this is going to be really exciting for you because you have never actually taken the time to do a deep dive on Jesus. I mean, you, you know some of the stories. You've read a few passages maybe. You've heard people talk about them and, 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 and you like them, but you've never really walked with him through his life. And we're going to do that and you're going to have a blast. This is going to be an adventure. But there's a second group of people. That group of people, you're familiar with the stories. You, you can fill in the blanks, right? Um, and, and, it's, and it's very familiar. And the problem with familiarity is that we can grow complacent. The problem with familiarity is we can sit down to read a passage and our mind just kind of drifts because we're so familiar with the passage, Right? Uh, let, me, let me just uh, case in point. Let's, let's do a little Jesus test. Are you guys up for a Jesus test? Let's see how this goes. I, I, I think you'll do well. Don't worry. 
I know some of you have test anxiety. It's going to be all right. We're in church. You can't fail. All right. So here's how it goes. He was born in a little town outside of Jerusalem called Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Right. You got it. A plus so far. All right. We'll see. It's all downhill from here. His mother's name was? His earthly father, his name was? Right? He, when he was 12 years old, he got lost in Jerusalem and separated from his parents, and they had to search for a couple days to find him. When they finally found him, he was sitting in the? The temple. Right, absolutely. Um, his disciples were out on a lake in a storm at night, and uh, he wasn't with them, but he eventually came and he walked on? Water, very good. Four friends had a paralytic friend that they wanted to get in front of Jesus, but in order to do that, they had to cut a hole in the roof. That's right. Even my dog could get that one. One, uh, one day, there's a, a crowd gathered listening to Jesus teach, and as he was teaching, they got hungry, but they didn't have any food. And so he took a box of lunch and he multiplied the food enough to feed 5,000 people or 4,000 people, depending on which story, because there were both. Um, But 5,000, 4,000 get get extra credit for that. All right, good. You're doing great. The Romans killed him by nailing him to a? Yeah, you guys know the story. You can fill in the blank. My question is, how well do you know him? How well do you know the living Jesus. And my goal for this series is not that you have familiarity or you can fill in more blanks and and answer more trivia questions about Jesus, but that you would know him. Because guys, something so profound happened 2,000 years ago that it still reverberates through our society today. It continues to shape our culture. It changed everything. And, it def- and he and his story and his movement have defied every odd along the way. Who was this man that 2,000 years later, the book about his life is still every year the best-selling book, period. It is the best-selling book of all time. It's estimated over, uh, over 5 billion copies in print. There's never been anything like it. And most people on this globe know his name, either as Lord or as a cuss word, but they know his name. It's worth spending some time, and I can't wait. Well, Mark sits down to write this novel, and that's really what it was. It was a novel, not so that you could know his mother's name or where he was born or any other fun fact, but so you could know him. So not so you could fill in the blanks but so that you could know the living Jesus. And he writes this novel, and it's an invasion story, right? God invades our world. He comes to rescue you. He comes to rescue me. And in return, he asks us for everything. He, he asks us for everything. He, he leaves us with a choice. And actually, if you read the book of Mark the way I'm going to invite you to, he will, Mark will push you, not to the middle, but to one of the edge, edges. Either you will crown him king or you will crown him with thorns. There's no middle ground when you read this story. He's not that good teacher 
He doesn't give us that option. Now, I understand how people get there because they'll read one little story about Jesus and they go, oh, look, he was a good teacher. But when you read the whole story, that's not an option. I, I think some of the problem is that we read the Bible and we read the stories of Jesus by chapter and verse, right? We read, I'm going to read this little section, I'm going to read that little section, and we can put together our own homemade Jesus when we do that. Now, we're going to read it that way throughout this year, and it deserves to be read that way because it is the Word of God, and and we're going to spend that time in it. But you have to read the whole thing first to get the story. Like, if you wanted to know who Frodo Baggins is in Lord of the Rings, you wouldn't turn to chapter 3, verse 27, and read verses 27 through 35 and think you know who Frodo Baggins is. you got to read all three books, and it's quite a weekend. But, but um, And the book of Mark is a novel as well. It's one story. You know, the, the chapters weren't added until the 13th century. There's 1,200 years that it was just, you sat down and you read the book. The, the verses weren't added until the 16th century by a professor in London who just wanted to help his students figure out where he was while they were studying it together. And yet that's how we read it. We read chapter and verse. And like I said, we're going to do that in this series. But I want you to read the whole thing first. Read it as the story that it is it will change the way you see the book. So this week, my challenge to everyone who is watching is to read the book of Mark. There's 16 chapters. I sat down this week to read the entire thing, and I'm an excruciatingly slow reader, and it took me an hour and 23 minutes. You'll probably be able to do it in under an hour, okay? Um, Do that. Get the big picture. You have to have the story arc before we dive in to the pieces. And what you will find if you read this book this way is that Jesus was was not just a good teacher. He was not just a prophet. He was not Mr. Rogers. He wasn't just the guy that said, well, love each other and be kind, you know, and feel good about yourself. And there's elements of of most of those things in there, but that he doesn't leave you with the option. He is either God or he's a lunatic, as C.S. Lewis said. And if you read the whole story, that's what you're left with. He's Lord or he's a lunatic or he's a liar. Let him push you. Let Mark push you. You know, he claimed to be God. I you know people sometimes will tell me, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. I'm like, have you read the book? Well, they read a part, you know. You can't walk away from Mark and come to any other conclusion. So this week, get your paper Bible, read the book of Mark, get your, get your journal, underline, circle, take notes, ask your questions, bring them to your, your church at home group and I got this question or I saw this for the first time and it's going to be a fun journey and bring them every week. Well, as I said, this is the first gospel written down as far as we know. 60 A.D., And the first line that Mark writes about Jesus is, 
the beginning of the good news, the best news the world has ever heard about Jesus, the rescuer, who also happens to be God, the Son of God. He goes on, he says, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way, prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of, for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Mark is, again, writing to a Roman audience who doesn't give two squats about, about Jewish prophecy other than the fact, or he doesn't give two squats about the Jewish Old Testament, but they do care about miracles and about God. And that Jesus, is one of the themes in Mark is Jesus is the Son of God, and he ties it right in here at the beginning, and he is laying a foundation for a credibility for the fact that Jesus truly is the Son of God and that this is good news. And he does this because this prophecy was written hundreds of years before Jesus was born. And then now we see it being fulfilled. And so that gives credibility right on, the, right on the front end. Now, if you've been around the vineyard for any length of time, you have heard me say that the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy by Jesus is a compelling reason to believe that Jesus was who he said he was. It, it, Jesus fulfilled not one prophecy. He fulfilled over 300 Old Testament prophecies. And if you sat down and just did the math on, on fulfilling eight of them, it's like one in a trillion chance that one person could fulfill eight of those prophecies. And Jesus fulfilled 300. And that's exactly what Mark is doing here for the, the people that he's writing to. He's like, this is all about God. This is a miracle and he goes on and he says, so he, he talks about the fulfillment of this miracle, this miracle. He says, and so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness. John, we're not even getting to Jesus tonight, guys. John was the, um, was the, the fulfillment of this prophecy. And says, so, so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He's preparing the people for Jesus. The, the prophets had been silent for 400 years, radio silence from heaven. They hadn't heard anything. And now a prophet shows up in the middle of the wilderness or in the middle of the, the boondocks saying the Messiah is coming, he's on his way, and you need to get ready. And John has two main messages. One, repent, get your life right with God. And secondly, this is not about your parents and their religion or somehow our collective salvation as a people. This is about your salvation and how you stand before God. This is a personal salvation, not a collective salvation. In verse 5, he goes on, the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey, which is the only way you should eat locusts. 
either with a lot of honey or at least Heinz ketchup, I think, but they didn't have that then. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So he presents this guy, John, right? John shows up in a camel's skin robe with a belt, leather belt tied around his waist. He's a honey badger. He don't care. He doesn't care what you think. He's eating locust and honey. He is dressed weird. Uh, he's out in the boondocks by the Jordan River. His message, as you're about to see, is, is not exactly like, hey, come on, I'm going to warm you up with a good story, and then I'll relate this way. I mean, he's, he's pretty like in your face, and people line up from all walks of life to see John. So the fact that John got any traction at all or any attention at all, based on who John is. It's another miracle. And, and uh, Mark presents that. And John's, John teaches us some, some pretty critical things, like, like readying our hearts for Jesus. Like, like Jesus will invade your life if you will turn to him and say, Jesus, I, I need help. I'm a mess. I need forgiveness. I need you to change me from the inside out. He will. John came to get a whole society ready for the Messiah to show up. But these are these things that John lays out. They're the exact things that God does in our life as we turn to him. John lays out that repentance is a lifestyle. It's not just words. Repentance is a lifestyle. It's not just words. And in if you have your Bibles, your, your paper Bibles, you can do this on your, your device as well. You can turn over to the right a few pages to the book of Luke. Um, and we'll do this throughout this series. We're, we'll look at, at uh, parallel passages in some of the other Gospels to kind of fill in the story a little bit. This is what it says in Luke chapter 3, verse 7. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, This is great. You could be everything you were destined to be. No, that's not what he said. He said, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? This is good preaching. People are like, "Ah, did you hear that? That's awesome. And then he says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Don't just come out here and say you're sorry and then go live the way you were living before. As a country, that's kind of what, what they were doing. They're giving God a lot of lip service, especially the religious class, right? The ruling class was, you know, the rules applied to everybody else, but they didn't really apply to them. And they just kind of, you know, they would say, oh, I'm sorry, or they'd go through the, the ceremony and the, and, the, and the sacrifice, but then they'd just go off and live like they always lived. And he said, don't do that. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Live differently. He also points out that salvation is not inherited, it's personal. They had this sense because they were Jewish. They were the children of Abraham. Abraham was the father of the nation. That somehow, because of that, they were good. You know, well, let me read this and then I'll I'll, I'll unpack. He says, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The ax is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. 
Don't, don't tell me that, you know, well, I'm good because my mama is good with God. You know, salvation is not inherited. Because your mama and your grandmama go to church and pray for you does not make you good with God. You and God getting together is what makes you good with God. It's not about your family. Salvation is not inherited. It's personal. The other thing that John really highlights is that true followers of God live differently. They live differently. The people were like, okay, that brood of vipers thing, that kind of cut. What do, you know, what, what do we do? How do we live this out, John? John answers them. He says, anyone who has two shirts should share, the one he, who, share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. John lays out, there's, there's some very practical things that he lays out here. God followers are generous. God followers, like, like if you're truly a follower of God, if your life is being transformed by God, you begin to open up your hands and live open-handedly in a generous life. That's... That's what we do. And then it says in verse 12, even tax collectors came to be baptized, which was radical. This was absolutely radical because tax collectors didn't even go to church or synagogue. They were the the worst of the worst sinners. They weren't welcome in polite society. They were traitors to their country, and they're showing up to see John. See, John's a miracle in and of himself. I mean, one, he's, he's way outside of town, and the people from the city, the religious, everybody from religious leaders to Roman soldiers to tax collectors, I mean, this is a very diverse group that are coming out to listen to him and going, what do, what do we do? How do we, how do we get right with God? It's so cool. So these tax collectors come out, and their teacher, what should we do? He says, don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. Now, let me just explain a little background on that. Tax collectors worked for the Roman government. The Roman government gave them, well, they collected their their taxes and they gave them to the Roman government. But the Romans, kind of with a wink and a nod, were like, "Eh, you know, if you need to collect a little bit more to pad your nest, that's fine too. And so they would extort money and they could because they were officials of Rome and they had the power. There was no constitution or bill of rights. They had no rights. They were ro- subjects of Rome. And they, you know, the, the uh, tax collectors took all they wanted. And John says, no, 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 no. God follows are honest and they're not greedy. Stop doing that. Take what you're, you know, what you're supposed to take, not what you want. It says in verse 14, then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied. Do not extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. So these soldiers, we're assuming they're probably Roman soldiers, are, um, you know, again, they're a law unto themselves. They could make you carry their pack for them. They could requisition your stuff. They could make you put them up in your house. They could take whatever they wanted. They could manipulate. They could lie. And their word was the the word. And Paul. And, and John says, look, God followers are just and they're fair. They're just and they're fair. Live that way. 
See, guys, it's not about being able to fill in the blanks. It's about having your life transformed from the inside out. It's about living differently in light of the fact that the God of the universe came after us, inhabits us, has rescued us. And if that is true of you, it changes you. It changes you in the areas of generosity. It changes you in the areas of integrity. It changes you in the way you do business. You're fair, you're just, you're generous, you're honest. Are you? And if you're not, repent. Verse 15, the people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all. He says, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He says, prepare the way of the Lord. He's pointing the way to Jesus. This is, this, is the, this is the first introduction we have to this good news, the story of Jesus. And what, what John is, or what Mark is laying out for us is that Jesus isn't something you just add to your life. He's, he transforms your life. He replaces your life. I think in our culture today, very much like and probably in every culture in the history of the world, we're tempted to add God to our lives to make our lives better. But Jesus doesn't give us that option. It's a complete takeover. And you can color all the pictures and you can do all the crafts and you can fill in all the blanks and never know the living Jesus and always play like you're a Christian. But when you sit down and you read Mark, when you sit, when you dive in deep and you travel with Jesus, he doesn't leave you with that option. And at some point, the good news has to become good news for you. And so let me ask you, when did the good news become good news for you? For me, I, was, I gave my life to Jesus when I was five and was baptized. But... My faith didn't become my faith until I hit a crisis point when I was about 19 years old. Where I sensed that God wanted everything. Where it was, he wasn't just my parents' religion or my parents' faith, but he was going to be mine. And I wrestled with God. And I came out on the other side, surrendered to God, and the good news became good news to me. Guys, if you come on this journey, you will come to a crisis point. It's a holy, sacred crisis point. And there's some of us that we've been filling in the blanks. We've been coloring the pictures and doing the crafts, but we're not following Jesus. He's just kind of along for the ride with us. And let me invite you to quit playing the game to get to know the real Jesus. No riding the fence anymore. And, he, and John en, or, uh, Mark ends this passage with, he says this, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now it's interesting because John was the Baptist, right? 
John baptized people in water. And the word baptism in Greek just meant he dipped them in water. He submerged them or immersed them in water. And it was kind of a new thing that John kind of, I don't know, it was a new religious thing that John kind of invented. Nobody had ever done it quite like that before, but John did. But he's like, I'm just baptizing you in water. When he comes, he's going to immerse you in the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of a God who is only available to prophets in the past is going to live inside of you. He's going, the God of the universe is going to inhabit you and transform you from the inside out and, and give you a purpose worth living for, the only purpose worth living for. And that is really good news. So this week, get your Bible, get your journal, read the book of Mark, grab some friends, and ask God to show you who he really is. And if you do, you might just find that you don't know about Jesus, but you will know the living Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this adventure. Thank you for this book of Mark. Mostly, thank you for coming after us to rescue us, to give us life. Lord, open our eyes, open our hearts, and transform our lives such that we're not just playing the game and tacking you on, but you become everything. And it is in your name I pray. Amen.